Well, good morning. It is good to be here uh, with you to worship and to study the Lord's Word. For those that I don't know, which is a handful of you this morning, my name is Cody Zeiderveen. Uh, I'm a campus pastor here at Grand Valley's downtown campus, and my family and I have the privilege of gathering with this church family that gathers here at Gold Avenue Church. Uh, and we're glad you're here. So we're continuing our series as we have been for the past number of weeks on being or becoming restored restorers or healed healers in light of who we are in Christ and what he has done, who we are becoming to be in light of that under his authority and what he gives to us. How then shall we live? And that's what we come to our text with this morning in Matthew chapter nine. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to Matthew chapter nine. And one of the things that I love about Matthew is he has these huge themes that he likes to run all throughout the way that he tells the gospel story. And one of those themes that runs from beginning to end and everywhere in between is the theme of forgiveness, forgiveness from our sins. So if you remember in the birth narrative of Jesus in chapter one of Matthew, uh, Joseph is afraid that Mary has been unfaithful to him, and so he decides that he's going to divorce her quietly. And yet an angel comes and says, no, don't do that. For what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. And then we fast forward all the way to the end, and we see the same message coming up in the in the Lord's Supper, when he sits down and he breaks the bread and he pours the juice and he says, this is the, the blood of the new covenant given for the complete forgiveness of all of your sins. And so from beginning to end and many places in between, we see forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. But there's only one place in the gospel story where Jesus says to an individual, your sins are forgiven. And it's in our text this morning, out of chapter 9, where we will begin to read the word of the Lord in verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, rise up and walk. But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise. Pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. People often refer to the nation of Israel as the middle of the middle of the middle. And they say that because in the ancient world, there was one spot that kind of fell between all the other spots, and it was Israel. 
And so you had the Persians and the Medes, you had the Babylonians and the Assyrians, you had the Romans and the Egyptians, and kind of situated right in the midst of them is the nation of Israel. And this is reflected in their history, right? Everybody's always fighting Israel. Time after time, there's war and there's battle, there's fighting, there's tension in the nation of Israel. There's always armies passing through. There's always kingdoms conquering. Well, a case could be made that in the middle of the middle of the middle of the middle is the town of Capernaum. Because Capernaum is situated on the trade routes that run from Damascus in the north down to Egypt in the south. And there's all sorts of happenings that go on in Capernaum. It's the place where everybody passes through. And so it's this, this town in which all are gathered from the Romans to the Jews. There's a Roman garrison there. There's people there to collect taxes. And there's Jesus there. Because if we lifted our eyes through Matthew's account to see, wait a second, if he came to his city, his own city, what city is it that we're talking about? And we'd go all the way up to chapter 4 where we would see Jesus leave Nazareth and take up living in Capernaum, his new hometown. In fact, if you were to visit nowadays, you would see this tile mosaic by the gate that says Jesus hometown. Pretty distinguished place, Capernaum. Kind of a bold claim, I think, uh, for Capernaum to make. But here we are, the middle of the middle of the middle. In fact, Jesus spends more time in this town than anywhere else during his ministry. This is the place it happens. There's more teaching here. There's more miracles here. There's more events that take place here in Capernaum. It's as close to home as anywhere for Jesus. And it comes from two words. Kafar meaning village. And Nahum, meaning comfort. Capernaum is the village or the town of comfort. The town from which Jesus comes. And scholars are pretty divided on whether this Nahum here is derived from the prophet Nahum or elsewhere. But I like to think it is. Because if we turn to Nahum and we look at his message in the midst of Really pretty disastrous times for Israel. He's got a line in Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. The Lord is good. A refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. That's what Capernaum declares. That's what Nahum declares. The Lord is good. A refuge for those in times of trouble. And here in the middle of the middle of the middle, in the village of Nahum, the city of comfort, we find this community of friends come with their friends looking for comfort, looking for a refuge, looking for a place to go for healing. And they know, as all Israel would, that if you're going to do that, you look to the Lord. For it's He who is good and a refuge for them. And this morning we see Him doing it through Healing and forgiveness. Almost every commentator, when they look at this text, they talk about how, uh, of course, Jesus would say something like, your sins are forgiven because behind uh, sickness in the ancient world, often they believed was sin. And so, uh, of course, it would be natural for him to say your sins are forgiven. And there's truth to that. I think that's right. But if it's behind this story, I think it is a long ways behind it. 
because I think there's more to it than that. I think that's that's a backdrop that that belongs way behind the main story because the whole story revolves around Christ and his authority. The rest is just the backdrop. The rest is the background because the people who brought the paralytic had Faith. Absolutely they had faith. They, they organized their entire day, if not week, if not month or year, around this moment in which they came with their friend and they laid him before Jesus. Their faith compelled them to do it. Everything about their action screams, I believe, I believe, I believe that Jesus is the one that can do it. I believe that he's the one who will comfort. He's the one who can heal. Everything they do is aligned with that belief. They are a people of faith. And so they bring their friend to the refuge. And when they do, Jesus sees them. Jesus notices them. He sees their faith. And he sees yours. If you come before Christ this morning or any other morning in faith, know that to be true. It's the Lord Jesus who sees you there and sees your faith. Whatever hope you have that washes up at his feet, whatever burden is brought there, he sees it. He knows it. He knows you. And when he does, he says, take heart, my child. Your sins are forgiven. Take heart. Be courageous. Be strong. Be bold. Jesus uses this line all throughout his ministry, whether it's to the disciples panicking in a boat. He says, take heart. Or whether it's to the woman with bleeding, he says, take heart. Or whether it's Paul sitting in a prison cell where the resurrected Jesus comes to him, he says, Paul, take heart. And it's the same line over and over again, meant to bring comfort to his people. But what's so unique about this phrase is people are to take heart because he is present there with them. Not because he promises something for them. Some he says, take heart because he's about to do something awesome. And the road has been hard and challenging and he's about to make it a little bit easier, a little bit less wavy, a little bit less windy. And so he says, take heart. But for people like Paul, their road has been hard and he comes and says, take heart, Paul, because you're about to go to Rome. In other words, your road is only going to get harder, but take heart just the same because on that road, I'm walking it with you. So take heart, Paul. The gospel of Jesus, both in his words and his actions, give courage. It doesn't encourage in the sense of hoping to bring about courage, but it encourages in that it places courage within us through the Spirit. And so he says, take heart. And it leads people to experience the goodness of God as they never had before. And so Jesus turns to this man lying on a bed still and says, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. And I would love to see how the friends would have responded in that moment. I don't know if you've pictured this scene, but they've organized everything to bring a paralyzed man before Christ. And there he is laying there. 
And he turns to them with all the compassion that only Christ has. And he says, your sins are forgiven. I would be a little confused. What about the legs? What about the walking? But Jesus is getting at something and underscoring something that's true for many, if not all of us. The most important need we have as we come before Jesus is not often the one we bring to it. No, he sees the first things first and he addresses those first. And so he says, I see you lying here. Know this to be true. Your sins are forgiven. And then it doesn't even tell us how they respond. That's how we know the story's not about them. Because certainly we'd get to see it if it was. But it doesn't say, like every good testimony is, this testimony is about the Lord and about his work. And so it keeps going. So Matthew keeps the focus there. Even as great as their faith is, as outstanding as the paralytic is, he goes on and he keeps looking at Christ and what he says and what he does. And so with the focus locked on Christ, he declares that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. The Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. And everybody's thinking, does he? Can he? And then he says, rise up and walk. And everybody's thinking, what? He has the authority to do that? Does he? And the whole story revolves around this question because all that Jesus does and all that he says for doubters and the faithful alike declares, yes, he has authority. He is the one with the authority. Does he have authority over the storms? Yes. Just ask the people in the boat. Does he have authority over the demons as Mark preached about? Yes. Just ask the one who was possessed. Does he have authority to forgive sins? Yes. Just ask the sinner. What about the authority to heal? Yes. Ask the guy that's walking around. All that he says and all that he does declares definitively whether they are challenging him or already believing in him. I am who I say I am. I am the Lord who brings comfort to my people. And Matthew uses faith to set the followers of Christ before him and his authority. And divine forgiveness there allows them to experience the blessing that they had hoped for in the first place. Only after the forgiveness. Not experiencing the judgment we deserve, but blessing. Not the hurt we've earned, but healing. Not condemnation, but forgiveness and the invitation and the power to take heart, to be strong, to be whole, and to follow Him. You see, the miracles in the Gospel, according to Matthew, are set in this beautiful framework of discipleship. By that I mean before and after the miracle accounts, there's these calls to discipleship and they're radical and they're crazy and they're extreme. And so we see before the miracles, these men come to Jesus and they're described as disciples and scribes. 
These are, are the ones who study about the Lord. These are the ones who know about him, who try and serve him, who follow him. And they come to Jesus and they, they kind of step in lightly. And they say things like, but let me just go bury my father first and then I'll follow you. And all of these men that come to him are essentially asking, is it worth it? Is it above all of those other priorities in my life that I follow the Christ? Or can I kind of do both? And Matthew, instead of answering that question, he shows us. And he goes on to tell the three accounts of the storm and the demons and the healing. And he tells them one after the next. And he calls them to this way of living coming out of an encounter with Christ. He shows that the call to discipleship is way above any other call. He shows that the calling to follow means to follow now. He shows that the one with the highest authority in your life is the one who says, come and follow me. And so we see all of these breaking of bonds and flooding sinful hearts with forgiveness and calls that heal broken bodies and broken spirits. And to highlight the power of that call and to underscore it for his audience, Matthew then turns and says, and let me tell you about when I was called. And it goes right into his story. Do you still have your Bibles open? This is verse 9 of chapter 9. Matthew's own call to discipleship. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. You can almost hear the story we just read in the background. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Do you see what just happens there in his accounting of the story? The call to discipleship is an impossible one. Unless you see who's in the boat with you. Unless you understand who it is that you're following. Unless you see his work and experience his goodness and his forgiveness and his healing. He's the one who heals, but not only the body, but also the soul. He's the one who forgives. And if the call of Matthew had come before that account, I think he would have been stuck in his tax booth. I'm not good enough. My sins are too many. This guy's too great for me. But it comes right after. Why? Because discipleship depends on a view of Christ that sees him for who he is, the one in authority over all things, sins included. And he says, your, your sins are forgiven. And notice how the crowd responds back in our story in Matthew 9, 8. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men, to humans, 
plural. Most commentators, again, agree that in this story, in which they marvel that such authority was given to humans, to men, the surprise of it is, is an allusion to the Christian community that comes with Christ. Because immediately we turn towards the sending of the disciples, and he says, this authority that I have, I give to you. And he sends them out with it. He sends them out with the authority to heal and to forgive and to uh, restore and to cast out demons. And all this power that he has, he gives to them and sends them on the same mission in the same way as his disciples, as his followers. He gives that same God-glorifying authority to us. So in light of that restority that's restored in us, that authority that's given to us. We're called to live by faith. Healing and forgiveness both require faith. Healing because it goes against everything that we see before us. Forgiveness because it goes against everything we feel within us. And Christ offers them both. And Matthew elevates the role of faith more than any of the other writers. He wants to say, those of you with little faith, keep building it up. Keep coming to more. Those of you with great faith, bless you. But it's not the account of one's strength of their faith that saves them, but the strength of the faith that holds them to the strength of the one who they have faith in. Let me say that again. It's not that you strongly hold to him who is strong, though if you do that, blessings on blessings on you. Even if you hold weakly, he is strong enough to account for that. And so with whatever faith you have, whether it is weak or strong, the invitation is the same in Matthew. Live in light of that faith and follow Christ. And you'll find it to be enough. And as you do, it both shows and demonstrates that faith in you, but it also grows and renews that faith in you. They go hand in hand. And so the disciples are called to follow in faith and hold on to the unfailing presence of Christ. So the friends of the paralytic in faith set their friend before him and in faith came and shared their need with him. And in faith, they brought their friend with, not just came and accounted of him to Jesus. No, they were so committed and so sure that they brought him along, bed and all. It would have been way less embarrassing if they had just kind of caught up alongside of him on the road and said, Jesus, I've got a friend back there. I know you're living in town. Could you swing by one of these days? But they don't. Their faith compels them to be just a little bit crazy about it. And so they pick up their friend and they set him right there. By faith. By faith. It doesn't heal on its own, but it cooperates with the one who does the healing. It cooperates in faith by the one who does the strengthening. It cooperates with the one who says, take heart, whether the road is going to be hard or easy, take heart, because it's the Lord Jesus who goes with you. It's a cooperating faith. 
And a faith like that requires and is always tied to prayer. Prayers of faith take all different forms for healing and forgiveness. Sometimes it is individuals interceding for each other. We see this frequently at Gold. If you've been here for a while, often you see one person praying for another, either after the service, during the service, before the service, during the greeting time, prayer, one for another, one brother or sister praying for the other. Many of our testimonies come out of that kind of moment, that kind of sharing. In fact, two weeks ago, I had gone on a retreat to uh, both lament and intercede for my wife, who's had some health complications. So I took a day of retreat, and not more than a half hour into the retreat, I felt an assurance that the Lord had heard and had acted on my behalf already. And so I had, I had brought a friend with that I had uh, created a retreat primarily around encountering Christ and glorifying Christ. So I thought, well, I guess I'll just do, I guess I'll just do his retreat uh, today. And I did. And when I came home was the day that Jess was approved for home health, uh, which has not healed her, but it has sustained her. And it has been enough to strengthen our faith, the prayers of one for another. Sometimes prayers of healing and forgiveness are found in communities praying for each other or communities praying for one who's a part of them. This is true in Victoria's case. I sat next to her again the other night as she was eating gluten. Praise the Lord for it. That's the prayers of a community blessing one of their members. Similarly, when I was in West Africa after high school serving there, uh, I arrived and I had the worst seasonal allergies. This time of year would be debilitating for me. And I arrived and was working for a couple of weeks and the missionaries there said, have you ever been prayed for and anointed with oil? Which, no, I had not, nor had it even occurred to me that that would be a thing I should have thought about or done. And so we did it that night. They prayed for me and anointed. And there was nothing miraculous again in that moment. But what began was... Because over the course of the next two years, I found myself to be without allergies, which is pretty remarkable for this time of year. Uh, And so the Lord works again through the prayers of community, praying for one of their members. And sometimes it's not just individuals or not just communities, but it's the elders. In fact, that's the way the the Bible encourages us to think about it. If you have a need, if you are sick, if you are unwell, call the elders. Let them pray for you. They have been given authority to do so. And those of you who are part of Gold Avenue Church know that to be one of the blessings of this place. We have praying elders that care for the people well. Let them pray for you. And I just want to name that sometimes, lastly, the answer to prayers is meant to be participated in. I didn't want to miss a chance when talking about healing and helping in that sense to name that. The Lord calls many of us to that sort of work all the time. And some of you are doing it faithfully and well. So that as people pray and as they come alongside, so too he rises up people to walk alongside of them, that have gifts to work and to help and to aid. 
And sometimes it's just as miraculous. One last story. I had uh, grown up with just a really challenging stomach issue that made me choke on most food that I ate. Uh, This was true for decades until 31 when I found out Mayo Clinic had created a surgery that I was qualified for. I had it. uh, And that Thanksgiving I celebrated without choking on anything, uh, which was extraordinary. So I wrote a, a letter to the surgeon Uh, Just to say thank you. It was amazing. Uh, And he said, I am so happy to hear about your progress. That is exactly why I enjoy what I do and am blessed to have realized how to use my given talents. I'm blessed that he realized it too. And that's true of some of you in this place. You are living out the Lord's blessing of healing in the work that you do. And praise the Lord for it because the spirit of the lord through faith prayer and participation continues to from the first day until now bring restoration bring healing both physical and forgiveness and it's facilitated by repentance and faith in humble submission to jesus christ it's facilitated by that but it is also given for repentance and faith. And so Jesus' purpose in these miracles was not to draw the crowds. No, he had a deep love for his people, a deep compassion for them, a deep care for them. And, a, and that leads him to bring comfort so that people may have faith, so that people may believe, so that they may continue to submit to his lordship and learn of his goodness, so that they may believe that he is the one who he says he is. Because in this life, not all people will be healed. On the cross, Christ came and definitively declared forgiveness and restoration of who we are in Him. But our bodies were not a guaranteed part of that in this life. The day will come. But right now it's in part. And Paul talks about that in Romans Chapter 8, where he says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Some of us are waiting in anticipation of that day. Our souls have been saved and redeemed and our bodies are still hearing about it. They're still catching up. They still find themselves in the battlefield. But as we wait for the redemption of our bodies when Christ comes again, we don't wait as passive observers. We wait, but we wait actively. We have a role to play. May we play it faithfully and prayerfully. May we be in the places where we see the rising up again in healing and forgiveness. May we be a church that rises up as Matthew did and follows in crazy discipleship. May we be a church of healing and forgiveness. May we be a church that rises up as healed healers and restored restorers so God who gave such authority to His people 
may ever and always be glorified in this place. Amen.